0: Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. amen hallelujah glory to jesus amen, amen. amen. all right we're going to pray once more else i going to pray more for ourselves we're going to pray, once more for, uh, mm. we're going to pray for as regards revelation on it still all right and then you know again and again let me just say particularly in the last couple of days. Couple of days. Well, it's say a new time, but you know, there's just been a burden on my heart again and again for the spread of God's word in the coming generation. You know You know, the, the the truth of God's word will preserve yeah. in the coming generation. I'm not just when when I say truth of God's word you preserved, I don't just mean you know, in terms of training students for the gospel. I mean the means by which we can safely guard the reputation of the gospel in the coming year or in the coming generation, such that you know, as many people as possible can be reached reach the message of gospel. You know, and you know, it's just been a burning desire again and again and again. And I can't tell you that I have all the answers, of course, I have a couple of answers, a couple of ideas in mind, a couple of things that by the grace of God, you know, Carolyn, she will do. <clears throat> but you know, beyond that, there are a lot of questions left on our side and that that there are a lot of grounds to cover. There are a lot of grounds. You see, there has never been a time where people have been, um, what's the word now? Where no matter how young people are, they've been given so much authority or ability, or opportunity to speak against the gospel as now. Now, people have always spoken against the gospel across different ages, across different times. But there has never been a time such as now where there is, even among the young, there is little to no reverence for things spiritual. That's the it. Things It not been as bad Every time Twitter, there's always one argument or the other about the Christian faith. And then people say all manner of things. And you can be annoyed and be angry. I mean, that's left to you. But I think the most important thing is to be concerned, actually, is to be concerned. We are having atheists become louder than ever before. What that means is we're having more 80s than ever before, That's <laughs> the truth, you know. And the question you have to ask yourself is, what is making it happen a lot more now than before? And so if you are like me, you begin to ask questions and begin to get bothered about the future of the gospel. No, and I'm not just talking about Nigeria now, I don't want to be myopic in your view. I'm talking about in Africa, in Europe, in Asia. I'm talking about in North America, and South America, you know i want you to think that way and i don't and so for that reason we are going to pray all right and our prayer is simple in the name of jesus for everything that we need to do to ensure that integrity of the gospel is kept for this generation and the next we are left to do what we do once again i'm going to leave that way. for everything that we need to do to ensure that integrity of the gospel is kept in this generation and in the generations to come, we are led to do, and we do. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Hallelujah. All right. So I just, I just want to, I want to implore you. I want to implore you. You know, con, I want you to continuously think about. See, the, um, there are some things like I think I can say. All right. Um. You, uh. There, there are certain influences on of the gospel or the move of the gospel that we we are going to have, all right, in coming years, okay. And the earlier you think about it, the better. All right. <laughs> the, the, I've always said this to you again and again that while the church oftentimes thinks about it now, the devil is thinking about the future in the next ten, twenty, thirty, forty years. <laughs> All right, and I think I said this to you guys before. That why why do you think that you know, for example, the LGBTQ movement is not just has actually become very widespread, but we have major um, advocates for the movement as you know major authorities in particular places in the world. So there are places that you cannot step into, or places you cannot have opportunities to go into, unless you are agree with the movements. Not just that. Even for people who do not agree with movements, you dare not speak. You dare, and it's, it's ironic because places like this, the whole idea, it's ironic because the whole idea of the movement or the LGBT movement in the first place is that people are free to express themselves. So why then does it make any sense that people who do not agree with that cannot express themselves? So unless you are wise enough And you can clearly see, all right, you you will not know that there is an agenda going on. And the agenda did not just start. It just And so if we are interested in securing the lives of people in years from now, you know, in the next 10, because the truth is, there's there's so little we can do right now. Don't let me lie to you. But if we are interested in securing the lives of people in the next 10, 20, 30 years, we must begin to think about that now. (laughs) <laughs> we must going to think about that now. We must going to think about avenues for the gospel. Listen, there is never I'm going to teach about this when I say evangelism and discipleship later later this year in our multi meetings in IFE. So there has never been a time when we when people have needed evangelism as close to them online as now. That that's the truth. There there are some people that you will never reach on the road, never. You will never meet them on the road. If I can use myself as an example, if you are somebody that does, does do evangelism, it's very, very unlikely you get to me. Very, very unlikely because you will see me outside. So the best way you can reach a person like me, eh? the best place you can reach a person like me is through social media or probably online. That's the truth. And so, you know, I, I know that the, the excesses of people just, you know, being all about online stuff, et cetera, et cetera, but if we are going to be honest with ourselves, Alright, there is a, the truth is you cannot try to evangelize the world the way Philip was evangelized. And when I say the way Philip was evangelized, I mean by walking on the road. I mean people from one place to the other. It cannot work, not anymore. That's the honest fact. Not anymore. And so we need to also begin. So the 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 the, the aim does not change, but there are the changes. The end does not change. It is still to reach everybody with the gospel, but then there are the new changes. And so we must not begin to think that way, that how best can we position ourselves to use every opportunity? Because here's the interesting thing. Both the devil, all right, and the people of God will have the same avenue. And so what matters is who optimizes it the most. Who optimizes it the most? I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I'm let to say it. Who optimizes it the most? And so we must begin to think. How can we best optimise the news or opportunities in the coming year to ensure that as many people as possible are reached for the gospel? It's not to think that way. See, let me also say something to you. Now, in the last since last year, this year, we've seen massive flocks of youths outside Nigeria than we have ever seen before. Massive flocks of, and, and let me tell you how it often happens. You have somebody in Nigeria. He has a local church. You know, he's consistent with the local church. He's given to evangelism. He's given to the work of ministry, et etc. et cetera. And then, you know, he travels out. You know, maybe gets a job or something, travels out. Now, he goes to a place where he has no spiritual He has no um, spiritual brothers or sisters, all right? He gets to a place where there is no church, all right? He gets to a place where there is no church. So, in some cases, maybe he travels to a place like Dubai that is largely Islamic. So chances of finding a church are probably slim. All right, or he goes to a place where all manner of vices are allowed. A brother that probably, when he was in Nigeria, was struggling with fornication or struggling with masturbation. Now he gets to a country where all manner of vices are allowed. People are kissing on the road. Random strangers are kissing on the road. Now a kind a brother that has been struggling in Nigeria with his spiritual devotion now gets to a place like that. Now what do you think will happen to him? What do <laughs> what do you think is going to is going to happen to him? And so. We are not. We are not thinking, and so in a place like Nigeria, we agree the economy is bad, so on and so forth. But at least there is a large hole on the gospel in Nigeria. That's the truth. There is a large hole on the gospel in Nigeria, and so people are having to live because of economic reasons. But we are not paying attention to the spiritual implication of these things. We are not paying attention, and so we. These are questions we must ask ourselves. So is, that's the honest part. Let's not get carried away. Yes, of so the truth, God is doing a lot of good things in Nigeria, so on and so forth. But we need to think. We need to think, if God says the old world, then it's your the world. If God says the old world, and in, in Lagos State, that has a population of about 2 million people, we cannot have a single church, or we don't have a single church, that can boast of 200,000, which is 10%. A church in Lagos, we don't have any church in Lagos, that can boast of 200,000 members, and we still have work to do. And this is not to say that there are not people that are working, you know, doing so much. We acknowledge it, you understand, we thank God for what God is doing. Doing. In fact, it inspires us to do more, but the reality of it is, I'm trying to let you know that there is a whole lot more work to do, a whole lot more. And so I want you to begin to rewire your mindset. Be honest with yourself. Some things, some things won't work. Is the honest truth. You can go and imagine from the to tomorrow, tell yourself the honest truth, That's I you will never meet on the road. You will never. that people that you. The only way you can miss them is through anonymous. The only way you can miss them is probably through the office or something. So now we must we must begin to think how best can we reach this people. What is what are the strategies we put in place for folks who are traveling out of the country? It's not about shouting. Don't travel. Don't travel. It's not the will of God. It's not every time there is not the will of God. Sometimes it's okay. There's no problem. God doesn't have any issues with it. So the question is, when we travel, what is the plan? We, we must now begin to place. You know, begin to make plans begin to put right strategies in place to ensure their spiritual growth. Alright? So please and please I just want you to think about that. Alright, and I want you to pray, you know, consistently in that life. Alright, just let the Lord lead you. Because I, I believe that for people who will do the most in the coming years, the people who have planned for it, it won't just happen by mistake. It won't just fall on our laps. No. We'll plan for it by the power of the Holy Ghost and then we'll see it happen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Begin our teaching for today. So we are on the series Understanding Efficiency, and today we are um, on track fourteen. Track fourteen of Understanding Efficiency, you know, and we are on chapter four. Chapter four. Uh, last week uh, we looked at the uh, ministry gifts. <coughs> ministry gifts. The apostles, evangelists, prophet, pastors, and teachers. And we saw what their purpose is that they are for the perfection of the things for the work of the ministry. So, the reason we have the ministry is so that they can perfect things to do the work of the ministry. for so they are defining the body of Christ. So <clears throat> by them doing what they do, they are defining the body of Christ. And it says, to what it says, it says to recall, to, to we all call in the unity of the faith. And I have to explain that the unity of the faith mm-hmm. is not unity despite faith. The unity of the faith is the unanimity of faith. So, it means that we all come to a point where we are agreed on the same thing. We believe the same thing. You know, I try to use this to explain how that when you try to have people come together to have some form of unity, even when they don't agree on the same thing. That's what the UN, unity of the faith is spoken about here. All right, unity of the faith is not we hold our hands together and think we are one body. That's not it. You know, even though avenues like that are good and they are to be celebrated, the reality of it is the most we can have in places like that is people forbearing one another. You know, they're just bearing one another. Okay, well. Despite what we are believing, there's no problem. Let's just, you know, and I, I try to use this to explain the fact that it's like you're trying to solve, you're trying to cure um, a symptom, but not the issue in itself. All right. I try to use this to explain how that oftentimes division, but particularly division among denominations, is a function of the adoptional standing, not just because people like to fight. And so, if you try to just cure the symptom, which is you guys should not fight anymore, you know, become friends. And then you don't cure the problem, which is doctrinal division. At best, you just have people who in their hearts are against one another, but are shining to each other. <laughs> That's the reality. All right. And so, you know, I try to use that to explain that. So, the, if we are trying to, you know, drive for peace and unity in the body of Christ, what we must therefore drive for is a unanimity of doctrinal persuasion. That is the unity of faith. That's the only fact the only way we can arrive at the point where, you know, we all are one, you know, one read, is that we all come to the point where we ask ourselves questions and we believe the same. And I try to use this to explain how that we must, you know, there must be habits in the church where we can call for, you know, respectfully, I think I will say this, respectfully, um, major church gatherings, like for example, and I say this with trembling. but you see, something like what we have in um, Christian Association of Nigeria, Alright, or oh, I, I I think that's how it's called Christian Nigeria. When you go for gatherings like that, the point of those gatherings, respectfully, should not be I I do I really don't know what, what is being discussed here. But I believe one of the things about such gatherings should be discussing major doctrinal persuasions in the body of Christ. I mean, that was the point. Do you realize that when we talk about the doctrine of apostles in the scripture, the, the function of the apostles, I'm talking of particularly the twelve now, all right, the twelve and now by extension, Paul as well. The, the major work they had was that they were the ones involved in the establishment of doctrine in the early church. Like there was something called catechism. Catechism means you had a list of the doctrines that they believe in the church. So it was clear, these are the things you believe in the church. You can not just come from anywhere and just come up with some phony revelation and say, that's what you're preaching. It doesn't happen. This was the reason why when Paul stood and began to preach about, you know, um, he began to talk about the Gentiles receiving the gospel. They had to call him back. Where do you different? Jude, it's not a, it's not you, you. don't wake up and just say, ah, the Lord did this to me and he started teaching. No, he said they, they had to call him, come here and explain to, him, and he had to defend. Now notice that Paul did not even defend it by what he was doing, just by testimony. Paul did not say, well, people are getting, people are getting saved and they are speaking in tongues. That's not what Paul said. Uh, when paul when paul was done speaking he also he tried to explain from scripture why he did what he did in acts 15. and then peter now comes up peter also narrates his experience in acts 10 with cornelius and then says something he then says that if we he says why then do we want to burden these gentiles with yokes that we or our forefathers were unable to bear? in other words peter tried to show them from scripture how that see it is important even we ourselves we know that it's impossible for us to walk in the law. Why then do we want to body the gentiles to walk in the law as well? Just because what we are trying to say was so even if gentiles need to be saved, they need to be circumcised to be saved. And by doing that, yeah, what I try to do is to make those Gentiles converted Jews to the lives So Peter here or, and Paul were both saying if people have to do that, then it's no longer by right, it's not righteousness, it's no longer righteousness by faith. Because righteousness by faith is only possible when a man doesn't do the works of the law to become saved if a man has believes that he has to do a certain thing or a certain ritual all right so that he can now become acceptable for salvation that man was no was not saved by faith rather he was trying to be saved by works all right and so you find out that even though people had demonstrations, i mean peter literally went to the house of Cornelius to preach he was not even trying to get their people with the holy ghost and they spoke with them and so and yet, look at it this way the church was this way to say well they spoke in tongues now. Who are we to question No, even though the church was in the wrong in this context, they were in the right as far. Even though there was a clear court manifestation, they still questioned Peter. What this should mean, or what this should show us, is that testimony should not shake us. Respectfully, testimony should not shake us. The fact that the man of God had testimony, the limb walked, you know, the legs were strength you know, one you know, woman of him we celebrate that we thank God. But we must still be able to question it. Why are you saying this and this and this and this? why are you saying this and this and this and that? do you realize in fact that the the church did not allow paul and I, I probably will teach about this more specifically for the time that the only time or the point when the church actually allowed paul to continue his ministry to the Gentiles Paul said when they saw he says when peter Saw so, that just as the administration of the ministry to the Jews was given unto him, he said, Just as the administration of the Gentiles or the ministry to the Gentiles was given to him, just as the administration of the ministry to the Jews was given unto him, he says, Then they gave us a right hand kind of fellowship. Let's go there. Go to Galatians 2. Go to Galatians 2. Let me just see what I'm saying. <clears throat> Galatians 2. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Galatians 2 okay now look at what he says he says i'm going to read galatians 2 verse hmm. let me start verse 7 he says but contrary wise he says when they saw that the gospel of the own circumcision was committed unto me that's the gospel to the gentiles was committed unto me he says as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto peter he says, "For he that wrought effectually in Peter the apostleship of the circumcision, as the apostle to the Jews, to those who were circumcised, the same was mighty in me who towards the Gentiles." He says, "And when James, Cephas, and John, as James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, he said, perceived the grace that was given unto him. He says, "They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the hidden and they on the circumcision. So, in other words, by the time, so there were two things here. There was first of all a point where they had to come because Paul and Barnabas in Acts fifteen had to had to come to Jerusalem to defend, you know, their gospel to, to the circumcision. So, oh sorry, to the uncircumcision, that's to the Gentiles. So they had to defend their gospel. Having defended it, right? Bible now says John. Peter and James sense that there was a call upon these people's lives, all right, to have a ministry to the Gentiles. And then they give them the right and authority. So, in other words, we, we won't just agree with you because you have science. It doesn't work like that. All right, it won't work like that. It doesn't matter that in Acts, it doesn't matter that in Acts 14, you people went to, you know, you went to a place and you performed the mighty miracle so mighty that people said the gods have come to us as men. It doesn't matter that even in that same place, you know, you face so much persecution that you're beaten and you're almost taken for dead. It not matter that all those things happen. In the end of the day, we still have to question. Now, you can see, of course, the church was wrong at this point in time. But that particular mindset of questioning new things was there. And you see, the truth of it is this in any place where we are going to have a standard of doing, all right, we must be able to do that. When we see something, we're able to call people and say, why are you saying this? What is your evidence from scripture? That's how it is. Alright, and so you know that's just you know that's just for me to say by the way, but let's continue. Um Ephesians four Ephesians <clears throat> four. All right. <clears throat> uh Ephesians four and the, okay, so it says the combination of the faith, the knowledge of the son of God. So the youth of the faith is of the knowledge. You see that the knowledge of the son of God is also a perfect man, it is unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in other words, the purpose of the ministry gift, which is to establish things in the work of ministry, is done by increasing them in the knowledge of Christ. Can you see that? It's in the knowledge of Christ. So the work of the ministry gift, as I showed you before, is to increase people in knowledge. Now, even though the operations, now pay attention, this is the major difference between Ephesians 4 and First Corinthians 12. In First Corinthians 12, we have the ministry gifts also spoken about, but what is, what is emphasized in 1 Corinthians 12 is the diversity of operations I work in them. So it says that there are differences of, um, there are, um, differences of gifts by the same spirit, the are diversity of administration by the same Lord, and there are differences of oppressions, or diversity of oppressions, but it's the same God that works all in all. So the context of 1 Corinthians 12, really, I, let me say this, and I, I can bet that a lot of people don't know this. Oftentimes, you know, people think that the context of 1 Corinthians 12 is the upper part was, the upper part, or the, the earlier part of 1 Corinthians 12, which is 1 Corinthians 12 from verse one to verse 12. Is for spiritual gifts, and then the remaining parts is now ministry but it's wrong <laughs> it's very wrong probably i'm going to teach us ah i don't think i'm going to happen to teach on this in um this thing but let me just say this if you were to pay attention to how 1st Corinthians 12 was written you would realize that in the context of 1st Corinthians 12 the entire context was ministry in fact the entire context of 1st Corinthians 12 to 14 was the same thing Exactly the same thing. Because what Paul was trying to drive out in 1 Corinthians 12 was to show you, because now pay attention, he says, there are differences of gifts but the same spirits. Diversities of administration or diversities of ministry by the same Lord. He says differences of oppression, but it is the same God that works all in all. And I, I think I've told you guys before that when you see all in all, by context you have to pay attention. So what he was saying there is, it is the same God that works all of the gifts in all the ministry. Now, he now goes on to let you see the gifts so he moves on and lists out all those bits and then continues by context we begin to begin to speak about how that. however, there are different, you know, there are different functions of members of a body. In other words, what he just wanted to see is that the whole context was... In- First Corinthians twelve. I'm going to show you the different ministries available in the church, but also I'm going to show you the different gifts that can be operating through those ministries. So what you can see in First Corinthians twelve is just more or less him beginning like a foundation of his argument. His argument was that. Of, of His, his argument was going to be that there are different members in the church that God has placed to bless to bless us. In, meaning in the church, you have prophets, you have apostles, you have teachers, you have evangelists, so on and so forth to so bless us. But the oppression even though these people are in the body, all right, they are one and the same same body, their oppressions are different, and each one is as important as the other. And so, but at the same time, even though they are all in the body and each one is as important as the other, they have different Operations. Meaning, the way a prophet will operate is different from the way an apostle will operate. Is that from the way a, 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 an evangelist will operate. Is that from the way a teacher or a pastor operates. So that's why in the earlier points or in the earlier parts of First Corinthians 12, he already listed out all of the possible gifts that are operating in each of these people. So the entire context of was not the earlier part, the, the lower part ministry. No, it was by telling you the gifts, he's letting you know all of the possibilities of operations in each of these ministries. That's what he was trying to let you do, and that's the reason why he, he now continues in verse thirteen. Because at the end of the day, the context is ministry, which is service, which is to bless people. He now continues in, in chapter thirteen and speaks about love. Right and gets to first Corinthians fourteen and begins to speak about you know maintaining order in the church and what is that order? edification? Because since the first Corinthians 14, 26 he says when you come together brethren, let every um he says when you come together, he says um what is it that brethren when you come together? everyone of you has a sound, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has mm-hmm. a repetition has an interpretation. You know he says? Let all things be done unto edification. So people think that the context of order in first Corinthians fourteen was actually order in terms of um, you know. Let's let us you know let's shout, let's not do this, let's not do that. No, that's not entirely true. Even though in the order there's the order of you know when somebody's prophesying, let every other person keep quiet, let them pay attention to what he's saying. But what is the reason for him doing that? It's not because he wants the church to be quiet, it's because by doing so, people can now listen to the words of the prophet and they can be edified. So the whole context of order in first Corinthians was in the facts of edification, and so you find out that there was a scene, a single thing. Be communicated from 1 Corinthians 12 to 1 Corinthians 14. What is that? Edification. And letting people realize the various means by which edification can come. And letting people realize that even though we are members of the same body, all right, we are different members having different operations that must be esteemed that God that God is working in us differently. And what are those different ways that God is working in us, the gifts of the spirit? Alright? But <clears throat> sorry, I just did you know a brief commentary on that, but maybe some other time I'm going to do an, a very extensive teaching on. You know, generally, First Corinthians 2, the things of the Spirit, all right? We would have time to talk, that, to talk about that. But the reason I said all of that was just to say that what you realize is that even though the operations of the ministry gifts are different, all right, they all have the same aim. So even though the operation of the pastor is from the prophets, the operation of the prophet is from an evangelist, the operation of the from an apostle, they all have the same aim. And what is the aim? The perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. And how would that perfectly come about fundamentally by knowledge? This is the most important thing. It doesn't matter how well you can, you know, flow in the perfecting, even if you can tell us the call of our all right. The most important thing to us is that you can stand on the pulpit and you can teach to us salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. it so well that a man is nurtured up in the words of faith and is then equipped to teach others. That is the work of ministry. Okay, so let's continue. He now says, so what it says that we henceforth be no more children. He says, stop, store, and flow. And I had to explain this to you guys, you know, last, um, <clears throat> last week when it used to be toss, store, and flow. It's like, you know, I said, it's like, yeah, you need to play dice. That's just literally what it is. It's like, I need somebody to play dice. Imagine using people's lives and destinies to play dice. And, and I told you guys also that oftentimes it's not intentional, but that's the truth. It doesn't have to be intentional to be wrong. You don't have to be wrong. <laughs> you know, um, when Peter told Jesus that he will not die, all right, and he was the wicked Jesus, he was he was honest. He wasn't he wasn't trying to be a wicked person, but he was wrong. So you don't and and I think people need to understand this why we correct people. We're not correcting people because we because we don't know that they mean well. We know they mean well. But the reality of it is Peter was meaning well and yet it was Satan walking through him. So you can be meaning well and the devil is walking through you. It doesn't take the devil doesn't need a bad heart to walk through you. No, he just needs ignorance that's all all you have to do is to be ignorant it doesn't matter if you have a good ass an ignorant person no matter how good this artist can be used by the devil is that same? all right and so it would matter that the person that is in error is kind when he's saying it or he's gentle or he means well we know he means well but he's wrong that's just what he is just understand my point He means well but he's wrong and so you see here that what makes i, I will say what makes but the one of the fundamental you know Responsibilities of any ministry gives is to be able to train people in knowledge, all right, so that they are not tossed to and okay. He says, Um, no more children tossed to carried about with every wind of doctrine. He says, By the slight of men <clears throat> and the crowning craftiness, whereby the line waits, now, it now says, But speaking the truth in love, and I spoke about it, I said, The subject thing not speaking the truth in love, all right, you are to speak the truth in love, okay. So, and by context, what would love mean? Edification speaking the truth to so the purpose of education. All right, I tried to give some examples here. You know, you don't try to you don't go on Twitter. For example, when you are having doctrinal discussions with people, all right. Personally, I don't engage everybody on Twitter. In fact, I I usually do engage a lot of questions all right, on doctrinal discussions. Okay. But I only really engage you when I believe that I can help, number one, or number two, I believe that you are ready to listen. And let me put that, and I be, believe I listen. I notice that you're not ready to listen, I don't bother myself. Be honest, because they will just keep going back and forth. Nobody going to be the other person, and they were just causing fights. get So the point of it is, is, and it also affects your manner of approach. All right, don't need to call me. I always say it like, for example, an atheist comes online, and then says, "I don't believe there's a God," and then you now see believers, men of God, believers under the person's suite, say no more things mm, Don't worry, when you get to well, where you will know. And a lot of times, what I see is disguise of foolish, That's the truth. I see disguise of foolishness because the reason is because if you were to bring down those people that have say those things and actually carry them and say now, defend to me that there's a the god, they can't answer. Oftentimes, rage is a is a facade to cover foolishness or ignorance. That's the only fact. is people are unnecessarily angry, they are just charging. You know, they are just charging. It's because they don't have the answer. That's the truth. You would think the, the anger. Uh, it's because of passion, it's not passion, it's because of ignorance. The person doesn't have the answer, and so the person is just shouting. your brains are popping up, so you now think because your brains are popping, that the person actually has the answer. It doesn't have the answer. The person that has the answer will know that for this, is all okay. Now you said there is no God, okay. No problem. This is my submission. There is God. I don't why why are you so triggered? <laughs> just that, like, we need to be able to have intelligent conversation. The agent said there's no God, okay. No problem. There is a God, and this is why I believe there's a God, and you talk. Just and clear is that simple? No need for name calling. No need for insulting. No need for shouting. Just drop your fat. That's simple. So that's what Jesus is saying. When he says, speaking the truth in love. <laughs> is that simple? You are speaking the truth. In love doesn't mean you know you are being ah. Oh, I love you. That's not the point. Speaking the truth in love is that you are speaking the truth to the end that the other person identified That's what love really means. Just understand my point. Okay, let me continue. He says, may grow up unto Him in all things. Ooh, of God. <clears throat> says, may God up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. He says, that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase unto, of the body unto the end of itself enough. You know? And what like, I basically explained is to be the fact that what is just saying is, By the work of the ministry gifts, all right, the church is made stronger. That's just it church is made stronger, and because the church because, and the way church is made stronger is because the mission gifts are training other saints to be able to do their work effectively. And so, it's now expected that those saints that they are training can now grow up also to become authorities that can train others. in the second major of the five, it says the things that you have heard of here among many witnesses, the same commit also faithful men. Who will be able to teach others also? So, the idea of this is that the things that you have learned, all right, you now commit to faithful men who can teach others as well. All right, that's basically what it is. That's basically how the work of ministry is. right so by you training people, it's expected that the ministry you do to so people can also replicate ministry in them so that they can train others as well. And that is how the body of Christ is made stronger. All right, that's how the body of Christ is strengthened. Okay, very good. So, uh, this I said, there, yeah, verse 17 and verse 18. Well, it's a, it, I mean, I did a comment. I've done a comment on that quite a number of times. And I said this last week, so I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to that. So you can just listen to that. So let's just go. Let's you know, move on. It says in verse 20, or let's, verse 19, it says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto seriousness to walk all of cleanness and greediness. And I try to explain to you that when it says who being past feeling, it means they've gone past remorse. They've gone past grief. They, they no longer feel any remorse for anything they do. Do you understand? And I try to explain this from Romans chapter 1. Or Romans 1, I think from verse 18 to 21. When Bible speaks about how that God gave them over. You know, God gave them over to the loss of their flesh, all right? Or it says, we um, gave them over to your And I try to explain how that... Notice how that God did not really give them over before they began to do it. They were doing it, all right? The Bible says that because they decided not to, to no longer retain the knowledge of God in their hearts, all right? It says that God then gave them over to reprobate men, in other words, this was something that happened because these men were consistently in sin. So it wasn't that God was interested in them at all. No, in fact, what we see in Romans 1 was that God was consist- consistently trying to push his idea to the Gentiles. All right, what you see, you know, pay attention to this in Second in Peter chapter 3, for example, second Peter 3, verse. Is it verse 9 or verse 19 now? When it says, God is not slack in his promises. I think it's 2nd chapter 3, 19, so let's go there. 2nd <clears> chapter <throat> 3, 2nd chapter 3, and verse... 2nd chapter 3 and verse 9, sorry, I said 19. That's 2nd chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as torment count flatness, what does it say? It says, What is long suffering to so us, word not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, God's <laughs> will is that none should perish and all should come to repentance. The same thing we see in 1st Minutes the and minute verse 4, from verse 3. This is good and acceptable, in sight of God, our Savior, would have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. In other words, what we see in God's activity through men is that he wants every man to be saved, not just the jew but also the gentile not just the man who has heard the gospel also the man who has not heard the gospel in other words oh jesus in other words even for men who haven't heard the gospel god is equally interested in ensuring that those men are safe because of course at the end of the day god doesn't take the gospel to him. all right it is men that take the gospel to me okay and so what you have to realize is that even for men god understands the inner difficulties of men God understands that there are places that the gospel will probably never reach and so in his own way, he does the best possible to let people know the God. All right. For example, you see Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Don't forget. Cornelius was a Gentile. And yet he was praying and an angel appeared to him. To so what end? To the end that, you know, the gospel be preached from. Now, I have two things to say about Cornelius's matter. Because not, you can ask the question and say, if God did that to Cornelius, why didn't he need to do that to every other person? I have two things. Number one, I believe it was because Cornelius was going to yield. That's the thing. Cornelius was going to use because for Cornelius to have gotten a vision from an angel and to have followed it, I believe that it was because Cornelius was going to use that an angel appeared to him. That's the simple thing. All right, that's one. Number two was also because I believe that it was because a lesson had to be taught to the church. If you look at the impact of what happened with Cornelius, you realize the impact of what happened to Cornelius was not just in fact what happened, like just by them receiving the Holy Ghost in that sense. The impact of Peter's ministry to Cornelius was most held in Jerusalem. Because this is the meaning. By the time Paul went to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he goes back in Acts 15, one of the major, in fact, the primary reason they allowed it, the primary reason, because Peter stood up and spoke, and then referenced what happened in Acts 10. In other words, it was in God's providence that what happened in Acts 10 happened. Because, apparently, even though God was trying to teach them that the Gentiles could be saved. It was later going to be a major event that would allow the folks in Jerusalem to realize that the gospel is both for the Jews and for the Gentiles. All right. So, you know, that's why the, the acting of Acts 10 is not entirely reliable. You can't really expect, of course, when I said that visions are still going to be shown to people, you understand, to bring them to the faith. But you can't rely on this totally and say, that's going to happen to every Gentile. It's wounds. You need to realize that God was trying to make something new i think god was trying to make something new god was trying to teach the church something and that's why he has to appear that way but still at the end of the day you realize that even though cornelius was appeared to by an angel he was told to go and he was told to send men to drop to go and bring Peter, that he would tell you the words by which he will be saved in other words it wasn't for the angel to preach the gospel it was for who it was for peter to preach the gospel Are we together so when we see the working of the spirit in ensuring that a, an unsaved man is saved there are two things Number one, we see the fact that by the power of the Holy Ghost, he will be directed to men that will get him saved. So just like Philip, you have the Ethiopian you know, who is in the chariots, all right, he's in the chariots in the desert in Gaza. And Philip, who is in Samaria, is transported by the Holy Ghost to meet this man. Meaning, God knew where this man was. The Spirit of God knew where this man was, yet angel did not appear to him to show him what he was reading. All right. Rather, Philip was brought by the power of the Holy Ghost to so where this man was. Right, so where this man was, and then he explains the gospel to him, preaches the gospel to him, gets him saved, and immediately is transported. Meaning, the So, the only reason why Philip was teleported, am I? Is it Philip? Yes, yeah, Philip. i just be that I'm not making a mistake. The only reason why Philip was therefore teleported in Act 8 to Gaza was simply because the Ethiopian you know, has to be saved. So, the moment the man was saved, what happened? He was translated again, simply like that. All right, <coughs> so let's just um uh, why did i get here sir? All right. okay yes i'm trying to explain about the gentile you see. All right. you see now do not also forget that this utopian you know is also a gentile all right well there's, there's a little ah, i don't want to go into i don't want to go into so much about it actually but let's do it for now but so that the okay but let me say it was a gentile but the utopian you know wasn't a jew let me just put it that way he wasn't a jew all right we have people that were called samarians for example samarians were not jews all right but they were like jews that, all right and so in the case like that you find that so an next sentence, i mean an example is the samaritan woman who jesus met at the well all right they were not enemies. jonathan but at the same time they were not the closest of people, okay so in cases like that people like that were usually allowed okay no problem we can take you to their son and so forth and so that was our next to so an next sentence, the apostles didn't have issues with preaching the gospel to those What I'm trying to let you see most of all is that God is always working behind the scenes to ensure that a man who has ever heard the gospel receives the life of the gospel or, or somehow comes into understanding that there is a God. So, if either a man appears to him, all right, to preach the gospel to him, a man is brought to him to preach the gospel to him, or somehow it is shown to him. That there is a the god of the universe just like what you have in Acts 17. paul gets to Greece, and then by exactly he's looking at all the gods that they're worshiping it is a god all right and that god is called and it's saw a temple and the temple the name of the temple is to the unknown god and look at what paul says paul says this god whom you ignorantly worship i declare unto you that's crazy <laughs> that's really really crazy do you know what paul was implying what is implying that these people were ignorant, actually worshipping God. So they were worshipping God, but ignorance. Now, look at what he now says. He says that these times of ignorance, God has waked up. These times of ignorance. Now, you now have to pay attention mm-hmm. to what the time of ignorance will be. A very good, quick question, just get your mind clean. I'm not going to answer the question right now. When he says this time of ignorance, is he trying to say that after salvation, now pay attention, after, or better pay, after the work of salvation, where Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again? Was it I to say that after that time, God no longer pities people for their ignorance? Like if you not whether or not you have heard the gospel, so far Jesus has died, that's your problem. Or is the time of ignorance moments when the light of the gospel appears to him? Again, explain. Paul is speaking to these guys, he, he, he's speaking to these guys in Acts in Greece, and he says, All right, he says, This is God whom you ignorantly worship. All right, he says, I declare unto you. He now says that the times of ignorance, right, God has winked at. In other words. Now, the question again is: what then is the time of ignorance? Is the time of ignorance the time before Jesus Christ died for the sins of man and salvation made available? Or the time of ignorance is or the time of ignorance differs from man to man. As far the time of ignorance is every time up to the point where a man is able to hear the gospel and thus affirming that the thoughts he had in his heart about there being a god is actually true. i'm going to stop there all right hopefully that can make you think all right and because the reason why this question is very important is because it begins to answer the question of folks that number one i've not heard the gospel before folks who did not have the opportunity to so come in contact, like when I say come in contact to the gospel, I'm saying, for example, a child, a child that is born, but has not gotten to the point where he understands the gospel, what happens to him? All right, um, let me see, which other scenario like that can I give uh, Okay, I think I can stop there for now. What happens to them? I think I'm going to teach about in um, the Bible conference next year, that's 2020, 2023. yeah, when I teach on understanding the gospel, right? I'll try to talk to each other, about that. but that's just my thinking. Now, <clears throat> let's continue. Ephesians four. Ephesians four. Ephesians four. So he says, "Who uh, so being fastidious and giving themselves over to lasciviousness to walk all of cleanliness with greediness." Says but you have not so learned Christ. Now says, "If be, it be so," so it tells you that these things that these Gentiles were doing, you cannot do them because you have not so learned Christ. Alright? So, in other words, salvation is the learning of Christ. Salvation is the learning of Christ. Salvation is not just for us to see what Christ has done and celebrate it. It's also something to emulate. it. Alright? Um, it's something that when we see how we eat on the earth, we can pattern our lives after that. You know, Bible says that we have not an life that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. It says, but like us, it was tempted in every way yet without sin. In other words, by we seeing the way Jesus lived his life on earth, we affirm that there's a possibility for a man to walk upon the face of the earth without sin. That's what that's what we see. Alright. And so what that means is that we can pattern our lives after his life. Okay? And so it says having spoken about you know, things that Gentiles do, he says you have not so learned Christ. Now let's continue. He says if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus how is it possible that you were taught by him? How is it possible that you are taught by him? It's simple, actually. The, the 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 training in the gospel, do not forget that the idea of discipleship once again is one that is done by faith to men. In other words, the things you say to me are the things that were said to you. So what we see in the discipleship of men by men, or better still, when the apostles were discipling men, What we see is a reflection of Jesus discipling them. All right, so a man who is being discipled, even though he's been discipled by someone who is not Jesus, all right, but so far, this person is a disciple of Jesus, either was trained by directly by Jesus or was trained by people who were trained by Jesus. It's as though this person is directly being discipled by Jesus. That's the point of faithfulness. That's why he said. Um, um the things you have heard of me among many witnesses commit to faithful men. Why? Because these men must say the exact things I said, nothing more, nothing less. Of course, it doesn't necessarily mean they must use the same words, you know, so on and so forth, but they must ensure that purity in doctrine. That's the faithfulness. That's the faithfulness in the message. Faithfulness in the message is that there must be a purity induction that is passed, meaning you must not say the things I did not send you to see. You must not try to, you know, go and form red, you know, come up with some very interesting stuff that we have never seen in the church before. No, that's not what he's saying. He's rather saying that there must be a faithfulness reduction. And so when he says that, um, let um, let's go back. Let's see. When he says that um, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, of course, you didn't hear Jesus in person, of course, you were not taught by him, but it's it's implied that as you are being taught by your disciple or by your instructor it's as though you are taught by jesus all right and that's right you know paul was speaking to the Corinthian church and he says follow me as i follow christ of course you can't see christ just on my point you can't it's me you can see but then you are following me as i follow christ to what end that is as though in following me you are following christ all right so that's just to explain what he was trying to say there now let's move on he then says that you put off concerning the former conversation. Now, pay attention to this. he says that you put off concerning the former conversation the the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, this should, you know, bring a question in your heart. Is it trying to say that I have two natures inside of me? I have new man and I have the old man. You know, I've heard this. I've had this very funny um, stand uh, um, from Christians or believers that you know inside the believer there are two natures. And so what you actually have day by day is a conflicting between the old man and the new man. And so, you know, as they are fighting, they are fighting as, are fighting, as are fighting. the believer now lets one come out. So sometimes the believer is, you know, disciplined enough to let the new man come out. But some other times, you know, sometimes he just makes a mistake and then the old man comes out. But that's not true. Look at Romans 6. Romans 6. Romans 6. He says let me start from verse 4. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. It says, that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the of life. It says, for him we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. It says, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. It says, knowing this, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. He says that the body of sin might be destroyed. that henceforth we should not serve sin. So the old man is crucified. The body of sin is destroyed, henceforth forth we should not serve sin. So what you have in the burial, all right, in the burial is a decay of the old man, all right. And so as a result of the old man, there is now a resurrection into newness of life. So in the believer, you don't have a, an old man and a new man, you know, trying to fight each other. and anyone that has power at a particular point of time comes out. No, what you have in the believer is only the new man. we together what you have in the believer, you realize that now, and this why there's a difference between when you hear the phrase, the flesh, and when you hear the phrase, flesh, or my flesh, you understand? the flesh oftentimes refers to the old man. The believer is not battling the flesh, all right? The believer, however, battles his own flesh, his body, because his body is falling, because his body, you know, because his body is falling, his body has desires, you understand? his body has desires. His flesh has, you know, um, uh, uh, it has desires, it has lusts, etc., etc. However, that the flesh or the old man he is not a problem of the believer anymore. All right, so it's not a talk of war between who has more power. No, no, no. The believer only has one nature, and that's the nature of Christ in him. Mm-hmm. All right, the old man is crucified, the old man is done me. So let's go back to Ephesians four. Ephesians four. So what he says in Ephesians four that you are to put off concerning the former conversation now that's also another thing what does he mean by concerning the former conversation right now you would realize that the word conversation here right is also the same word or now or better still the word conversation here in newer let me just put it this way in newer versions all right you realize that the word conversation is used here is actually refers to conduct It's referring to your conduct okay your conduct and so it's trying to say that what he's telling you to do here is as regards how you live your life. Okay, so it's not the conversation here is not um, is not speaking about you know your talking, talking to people. For example, when he says, "Evil communication corrupt good manners," the word "communication" there actually refers to association. So it's not just that when you see conversation. For example, also Philippians three verse twenty, our conversation is in heaven. All right, and the word "conversation" there actually means citizenship. So it's not just for you to just say. Oh, this is what it's talking about. No, you have to pay attention to the words that are used and see what it actually means. And that's why oftentimes newer versions are better. Same thing you see in um, um, uh, Philemon, Philemon 1, I think the six, when it says that the communication of your faith may become more The communication of your faith there is not talking about you speaking your faith. That's not what it's talking about, actually. It's talking about the fellowship of your faith. All right. But back to this verse, when it says that you put off concerning the former conversation. All right? Let me see. He says that you put off uh, concerning the former conversation exactly. That's concerning the former way you used to conduct your life. He says you put off the old man. So now you should have a question here. That but we just saw in Romans six that the old man is crucified and the old man is done with How then is that same old man still present for us to do with? He says concerning the former conversation concerning the conversation so in other words what you are doing here is not you removing a nature what you are doing here is addressing the conduct. because even though the old man is crucified don't forget i said the believer's flesh all right or the believer's body is still falling It's say in a falling state we, we will only restore glorified bodies after the resurrection all right and because of that there are still motions of the flesh working in the bodies don't forget. Now, of course, the body has been paid for, all right. But it is until the glorification, of or it is until the rapture that you have the glorification of the body, all right. And so, because of the desires of the flesh at work in the body, not as work in the believer's spirit now, or as work inside of the believer, but as work in the believer's flesh, the believer therefore has to ensure that he is intentional about his conduct in ensuring that his conduct does not reflect. The happenings or the activities of the old man, and that's why it says that you put off concerning the former conversation, so it's not just a putting off of the old man, no, that has been done in Christ, all right? But you're putting off concerning your conversation, the old man, all right. So let's continue. It says that that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt. Can you see that according to the simple laws? He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, so you are putting off and then he asks you to be renewed. Now, I'm going to, before I explain what it means to be renewed, look at what is going to happen in verse 24. He says, and that you put on the new man, (laughs) which is, which after this created in righteousness and holiness. Now, a question, this putting on here, would you be referring to, like, you're trying to make yourself a new man, but trying to say, according to to your conduct, act like a man who has made you. Because do not forget, the context here is the former conversation. So, if Putting off the old man was concerning the former conversation. The putting on of the new man as well would also be concerning your conversation or concerning your conduct. Again, if he was speaking about conduct when he asked you to put off the old man, by context, and that context is thing, by context, he intended to also put on the new man would be a function of your conduct. Meaning, according to your conduct, stop acting like you have the old man and begin to act like someone who has been raised into new of life. The context determines the usage. All right? But notice something very important, that the difference between a man who is trying to, you know, um, 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 who is trying to stop simple habits or stop the activity of the old man and to, you know, begin to do the activities of the new man, it tells him to be renewed in the spirit of his mind. The word there is just, it's basically to be renewed in his mind. It's that simple. The spirit of your mind just means, it's just trying to um, further embrace the fact that it is within. It. Do you understand? Because the word spirit means in your mind, it, don't, it means something that cannot be physically. Or something that cannot be handled physically. But it says in the spirit of your mind, it just means renewed in your mind. So in other words, how a man can move from trying to battle addictions to walking in authority or to walking in victory above sin is that the man is renewed in his mind. Romans chapter 12, go there. Romans 12, Romans 12, from verse 1 to 3, says, I preach you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, he says that you present your body the living sacrifice. It says, holy and acceptable unto God. It says, which is your reasonable service. So pay attention to the soul. It says, do not conform to the world. It says, but be transformed at the renewing of your mind. In other words, the transformation the renewing of your mind. And this is why you have to pay attention. The transformation is not that the things you used to do, you didn't know. It's not... Oftentimes, those are reflections of transformation. The true transformation is what happens in the mind. All right. What, first of all, happens to the believer? When you see someone who used to lie before and now is no longer lying, it's not at the point when he stopped lying that he's transformed. The transformation happened in his mind that his mind was being renewed. But because his mind has been renewed, his mind determines the things that happened in his body. All right. And that's why the writer of Proverbs says that um, um, God you have to do this for out of which flows issues of this side. Because every a man is defined by the things he believes in, a man is defined by the things he thinks, and uh, what goes on in his heart, what goes on in his mind. So everything he does is a reflection of what is within him. And so Jesus as well was saying that a man is not defined by what he takes in right, but, by, but by what comes out of him. All right. Because it is the things he says, or better still, the behavior that he exhibits a function of what is his mind, Are we together. So that's the truth. So when you see a man who needs to change, and that's what I've always told you guys again when you see a believer who is isn't, you know, walking and the so on and so forth, the last thing you should be doing okay, is to be giving instructions, honestly. Even though instructions are good, and you should do that, the first and foremost thing is to show them from the world why they need to do what they're supposed to do, or better to so show them from the world who they really are. By them being renewed to their realities, all right, they are then strengthened to walk in the world. In fact, do you realize that the reason a believer can walk in the world is because he is born of the world, meaning if you were to show the same thing to an unbeliever, he won't walk in it because he doesn't have the capacity to walk in what is not born of. All right. The reason the believer can respond to the world is because he's born of the world. And so that's why you have to recognize that it is powerful. So if you want to initiate a change in the believer, what you have to do is simple. What you have to do is to show the believer who is in the world. By consistent renewal of his heart to the world, what's going to happen? You're going to see him begin to change anything he does. All right? You're going to see him begin to change anything he does. Okay, so that's just... I'm <clears throat> very good to see that. So he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So that's how, that's how you go from battling addictions or battling certain you know, you know, habits or battling things to begin to so walk in as a new man in Christ Jesus. All right? How by you renewing your mind. It's not by you, of course. After having been shown what you are your mind has been renewed, I cannot give you instructions. Okay, don't do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But you see, the power to actually take those instructions and do them is actually seen in what has happened in your mind as a reason of its um, exposure to God's word. Okay, as a reason of, because your mind has been exposed to God's word, all right, these are now the things you can do, okay so um that's just important to see so let's continue he says okay and that he put up the new man which after god is created the righteousness of truth and I also to show you that do you realize as you're going to see very soon that in fact it was a general way forward wrote his epistles. that paul would first of all speak about revelation on it first of all teach show your reality the crisis and so on and so forth and then having done that he then begins to move into instructions because it is a waste of time to give people instructions without letting them know what God has done for them in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. The way believers can actually walk in what God has told them to do is that they first of all realize what God has done in them. What the things they are supposed to do are a reflection or better still are um what's the word are responses to what God has done for them. For example, worship. Worship for example when we tell somebody for example that see when you are worshiping, you lift up your hand. You sing with a loud voice. You sing with a, loud, with a loud voice. You jump around and rejoice as you worship. Now, the person can do what you just said. But it's possible that the person is doing it just because you said it. But when you explain to the believer what has been done for him in Christ, and then you now see, when you are worshiping there, eh, Bible instructs, or we speak from scripture, that when you worship you lift your hands when you worship you jump around or you rejoice when you worship you sing with a loud voice now he is going to do what you ask him to do but now as a function of the knowledge he has been exposed to so that's what makes the difference so it's not just about doing the things that are said in the bible or doing you know following some instructions no, no, no. it's about being exposed to the word and then the the instructions you follow being an expression of the response to your exposure to the word I hope I didn't confuse you. All right, let's continue. So, he says, now he now continues to now begin to. Speak. So, having told you how to, you know, put up, put away the activities of the old man and take on the activities of the new man, he now begins to give you instructions. All right, having told you how to do it, he now begins to give you instructions. He now begins to say, therefore, put away line. Speak every man truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. You see, as simple as this thing is, these are things that need to be echoed again and again in the church. Some people don't like to lie, <laughs> and it's terrible. Like it's, these are things that we need to talk about. Put away lying. Don't lie. Why are you lie? You know, we ask you, where are you? You are, you are just about leaving your house. You now said, I'm on the bike. Ha! Emoji. You are lying. <laughs> lying. Yes, uh, and sometimes lies. I remember, um, um, um. There are what you call spiritual lies. Let's put it that way. Spiritual lies are, are Uh, let's say lies that like you lie on the still Testimony lie. Now, you prayed for someone. The person later got healed, but it was not an instant healing. Then you now say it was instant. That's a lie. All right. That's it. And that's why you guys will notice when I keep testimonies. I, I don't, I don't try to say it more than the way it's black. I don't, just, uh, that's why I said that. Uh, maybe I do not share people's testimonies yet. Like, it's the way it was. If, if the person told me on the call that the pain has gone but the thing feels of pain, I'm going to say that I'm not going to say, as I pray, the pain went. <laughs> that's not true. That's a lie. That's not my point. If we went out on outreach church and nobody was killed in the Holy Ghost, nobody was killed in the Holy Ghost, just, uh, there's no need to lie. To lie all right why shall you lie all right don't lie all right so you no know, as, as a man in christ he says put away lines speak every man to his neighbor but look at what he says he says for we are members one of another now okay but what one of another there is actually a word um is, ah, let me check my notes actually, i actually have been using my notes throughout this teaching. my notes. it's the word al all alone It actually is a word that is a derivative. It's a word that means one another, of course, but it also means reciprocally or mutually. In other words, speak the truth to your neighbor, right? Mutually. Let your neighbor also speak the truth to you, and you should speak to your neighbor as well. All right? But it says you are members one to another. Okay, so it's trying to say that you guys are members. And now the word one to another, which is Ale, Ale, Is actually a derivative of the double usage of the word halos. The word halos meaning another of the same kind. So when it says one another and it says alone, it's a, it's a derivative of the double usage of that word. In other words, the both of us are another, of course, because we're not, we're not the same thing, but of the same kind. Of the same kind. It's just like I've explained this to you guys before. The two words use another. One, one Greek word is the word halos, the other Greek word is the Greek word heteros all right and and means another of the same kind Eteros means another of a different kind so when speaking for example in galatians i think galatians 1 and 6 and it says that um 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 i marvel that you are so soon to away from the grace of from the god from the grace of christ onto another gospel which is not another so it says you are you are being moved away from the grace of christ onto another gospel that means you are being moved away onto an eterous gospel that's another of a different kind says which is not another so which is not another meaning a, an ethelos gospel which is not a and a gospel of another kind which is not another of the same kind all right so that's just what he's saying The same same um, same word was used when it, he when it speaks about another comforter handles paracletos alus, another of the same kind so if i tell you that the holy spirit who is going to come on to you is another comforter of the same kind as jesus all right, so that's the word alus and so the alen is a derivative of a double usage of that word. So you have alus alus, so meaning that me and my neighbor, so that means the neighbor we're speaking about here will be believers in Christ Jesus because he's trying to say, Me and this, my neighbor are another of the same kind. All right, we're not different from each other, we are not of the same kind. Now let's continue. Mm. And of course, this will make sense because I mean. In Ephesians 4, that's in Ephesians 4. In verse 4 to 6, he already establishes the things that we all have together in Christ Jesus. For example, from verse 4 to 6, he says, uh, he says there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. He says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He says one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. all." Right. So he already tries to establish the oneness that we all have in Christ Jesus. All right, establishes that as a fact, tries to show you that we are not different from one another, and then you know, now begins to give instructions about what we should do. So he says, Do not lie, it's not like a member of the family. But remember, I mean, if God Christ, don't lie. All right, if God did not tell you about that sister, don't tell her, God said you are my girlfriend, or God said you are the one for me. That's it, she's not good for you. He's okay to be able to tell people that I like you because of this. Because I don't come and be lying and say, I sent a way to tell you that you are the one for me. We a liar, be a liar, all right, be a liar. That's that not true. Now, this is not to say that there are not faces or instances where God speaks to people. And I think it's important to say this. Let me say, I was saying this to a couple of friends. Was it yesterday or two days ago? And they were like, I was really annoyed about it. But yeah, I'm annoyed. It's a very, very major red flag when the first time God ever speaks to you is about your relationship. Or the only time when you are definite about God's living in your life is relationship. Every other time when God has spoken to you, you didn't hear. You did not hear. Or you were not sure, but relationship you are sure. It's a very big red flag. i, remember, I, I, I remember while I was talking to my friend, I said, "Who is the people that I spoke to you? How do you? You don't even have a previous experience of hearing God or being led by the Spirit of God. So, how can we trust this feeding to actually be of God?" Just that that's my one. Number two, when you look at the pattern of Scripture, it just it, it shows us how on uh, whats the word now? How unenthusiastic we are with esteeming Cues from scripture. When you look at scripture, for example, also, you realize that when Bible teaches about the living of the spirit, or better still, when we see information about the living of the spirit in the book of Acts, it was fundamentally used for the work of ministry. Fundamentally, for the work of ministry. In fact, you'll be lying to yourself to think the, 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 the living of the spirit when you read the book of Acts is for mater- anything material or career or so on and so forth. The honest truth is when you read the book of Acts, you cannot but see. Primary purpose for the leading of God's spirit was as regards ministry. Now, does this mean you cannot be led in any any other area of your life? It doesn't. It just means that fundamentally, all right, what we see from Scripture is that God's leading for a man fundamentally as regards the work of ministry. That's the truth. Okay, that's the truth. And so, when the only way I can trust a man, pay attention now, that says God told me that you are the one for me. Is if I can I can see a consistent trail, all right, of the leadings of God. Again, is if I can see a consistent trail of the leadings of God in that person's life as he does other things, particularly ministry. That's it. That's it. And so, don't just lie to someone. You understand? Know I it's okay to say I like the way you look. <laughs> Don't be creepy. Don't be the anybody first time and not feel like I like your figure. That's really weird. Like, the man of God, man in Christ, be saying things like that. But it's not. It's okay to say I like. I like how you. You know, I like how you smell. I like your perfume. I like how you walk. I like how you talk. I like your face. You have a really nice smell It's okay. Just it doesn't make. <laughs> it doesn't make you less spiritual to say those things. It doesn't make you less spiritual to say You know, we say when you ask "What? What did you first in her?" You say, I saw the Holy Ghost in that. That's not possible. <laughs> you are lying. You get I me? Mean, if you saw something in the exterior, just that whatever you now saw is left between you, you and your God. I <laughs> you cannot say anything. But, but, you know, the reality of it is that, you know, so you don't lie. That's just what I'm trying to say. Be honest. Don't lie. Let, let this be and, and, and don't let there be small things. Just yes, don't let the small things that, you know, know you are not it's just lying now. No, no, no. You need to have a very tender conscience that even to life pricks you. Just on my point. it's Like two parts, you know. So that's that. Um, <clears throat> let's continue. Whew. It says, okay, "I've spoken about that." Now, verse twenty-six. Now, this is very interesting. Is very interesting verse. It says, "Be angry, and sin not." If I want to read it the way i have happy to read it. it. Says, "Be angry, and sin say not." It says, "Let not the sun go down upon your wrath." See, see, Can you see? So the Bible does not say we should not be angry. The Bible does not say we should not be angry. It's okay to be angry. Just that, even me now, as I'm teaching you, I'm angry. Just that, mommy, the Lord, she not giving this money. <laughs> you know, she says be angry, but it says, the Bible now says we should not see, but we can be angry. Now this becomes confusing because go to Galatians five. Let me show you something. Galatians five. And this is what I've told you guys: when we talk about context in scripture, context in scripture is the entire book. Just in fact, it's not the entire It's the entire Bible. That's context. Because you, you need to understand that. L- let me say this. The, the epistles that we read, alright, do you realize that the epistles are not the entirety of Paul's ministry to the church? Let Again, let me say that. For example, the book of Ephesians. Do you realize that the book of Ephesians is not Paul's entire ministry to the Ephesians church? The book of Ephesians actually is a letter that Paul had to write to them because he did not have the opportunity to be, there, to be there with them. And that's the reason why in the book of Ephesians, for example, you don't find Paul preaching the gospel to them because they have been saved. In fact, Paul had already started this war. He had started the church. He had already you know, built them to a particular point. He had he left. So what you see in the book of Ephesians is not the entirety of Paul's ministry, meaning there are other things that Paul would have said to that church that are not in this letter. And so if you want to have an holistic view of doctrine, you have to take everything together. Alright? So now, what's Galatians? Galatians. Galatians uh, 5. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Now, look at from verse uh, 19. Galatians 4, verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? So these are the works of the flesh. It's adultery, fornication, uncleanness. It says lasciviousness. It says adultery. Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Now, in case you don't know the word wrath, there is the word anger. Anger. So, anger or anger, it was my if I just, you know, came out like oceans. Anger is <laughs> the work of the flesh. It's the work of the flesh. So, let's go back now to Ephesians four. Ephesians four. So now it says, being angry and sinning. <laughs> Paul, what exactly are you trying to say to us? Be ye angry, should be angry or should be angry. But you just you told us also in Galatians that anger is the work of the flesh. So meaning if we are angry, we are actually sin. So when it says be ye angry and sin not, what does it mean? Then he now you know he now bust everything. That says let not the anger, let not you know the sun go down upon your earth. And I remember when I this, I just asked my question, what is the person? Yeah, you know, mm, let me just say by the way that I had a very Wide, wild imagination. So, I, I always think about things in very weird ways. So, that I now thought about. It, I said, "Let me know the sun goes down So, in other words, for example, somebody annoys me now, like around five pm. I don't have so much time. It's not fair because look at it. If somebody annoys you, like say eight p.m. in the morning, you still have so much time to be angry. Just until like around like 5, six pm when the sun goes down. So, like you already even have enough time. You already calm everything. What's somebody that annoys you around like five pm or five thirty? You don't even have so much time to even be annoyed anymore. Small thing like this, the sun has gone down. You don't want to see So you have to forgive the person. That's number two. Number three, what's if the person annoys me in the middle of the night? I saw you are wondering, why would anybody annoy me in the middle of the night? Well, maybe I'm doing night with you. And the person supposed to buy me, um, what's the word now? First name of this thing. is for school. This person is supposed buy me this bread, 100 naira. I didn't I didn't if they sell 100 naira bread anymore. Bread, 100 naira, two eggs. Personal bought bread, 17 naira. And one egg instead and use the rest of my own money, my personal money. Use the rest of the money to buy, let me see, Schweppes soup, Just and late things worse, he didn't even bring it to where I was. I could drink it with him. He drank it on the way. I hope you realize that that's like double sin. that. That's worse than being an Okay. Now, <laughs> now, yeah, no, so there's no sun around. So now the sun is in them already. There's no sun. So with, do I have to forgive him before the sun comes up or I have to forgive him before the sun sets the next day you know? so those are now in cases like that when you see things like that and logically they do not appeal to you or they do not make sense to you a lot of times you have to number one check the you but then also you have to check the cultural context of that phrase now let's divide this verse this is the last verse I'm going to do now when you say the word be angry now the word be angry there the, the, the Greek word that means anger but here's the thing, the tense of the verb is actually a um, passive second-person plural. Passive second-person plural. Now, I know sometimes you might wonder, why do I always do I do um, Greek language. Am I teaching Greek? No, but you see why very soon. Now, it's, it's a passive second-person plural. Now, second-person plural. As by speaking to you in second person, do not be angry. So speaking to you, so like second person, all right? Second person um, plural, pa- passive, second person plural. Sorry, passive, second person plural. It's a verb, it's passive, second person plural. Second person plural because it says B E. So it's talking to people, all right, and then the second person, plural. Yeah, people, not just one person. But it says passive. Now, what's the passive verb? A passive verb is one where the subject is not Actively carrying out something. For example, let me show you. Let's say, for example, you know, um, two teams are playing. For example, the way I think I nice saw, I don't even know, before, but I think Chelsea have been collecting a steady. I've been eating them steady. So I don't know who's Chelsea. I don't, I don't know. So let's say um, Real Madrid played with Chelsea. And so you see, Real Madrid, let's see, beats Chelsea. Something like that. Now, the active here is. is the verb is beat, all right? Real Madrid is a subject and Chelsea is the object, right? And so, re, so the active verb there was beat. Real Madrid beats Chelsea. But now, if to say it in the other way, you say, Chelsea was beaten, I that. you say Chelsea was beaten by Real Madrid. Now, in that case, Chelsea didn't necessarily do anything. The passive verb there is to be beaten. Jonathan, beating there is still a verb, but now it's a passive verb, all right? Because Chelsea did not do anything to be beaten. Rather, it was actually Real Madrid that was doing something to Chelsea. So that's the idea of what a passive verb looks like, all right? So now, look, so when it says be angry and say nothing, the word be angry there isn't an active verb. So it's not an anger of what you do, actually. It's something that is a response to what someone does. In other words, The anger is actually more or less a provocation. So, meaning, it's not that it's telling you, okay, be angry. It's rather saying, like, you'll be angry, not because you intentionally want to be, but because somebody will try to get you pissed off. But it's not telling you, even though that will happen, do not sin. So, you're not trying to say that there is a level of anger that is permitted for you. Do you understand? Like, this level of anger is, okay, don't just let it be so much. That's not what he's saying, all right? Rather, he's saying people will provoke you. Do not respond based on that provocation. So he's not trying to say be angry, it's rather saying in your anger, since people will anger you but sinless, people will vex you, people will provoke you, but don't point. So it's not a discussion of maybe anger is permitted to an extent. Anger is not permitted at all. All right, but it's just telling you, people will provoke you in their provocation, do not sing. While they try to provoke you, do not sing in your anger, do not sing. Wow, time is gone. Okay, so. He says, "In uh, then, in our says, let not the sun go down upon your roof." Now, this was actually this phrase actually has a contextual origin. All right, so believe that it, there are a couple of people called the Pythagoreans, the Pythagoreans, and they they had a the culture where, like, it was a rule: you don't allow, like, when somebody annoys you, you ensure that you guys settle your scores before the day, before the sunset. Like that was how it is before the sunset. You have to ensure that you set to your source. So when um, Paul was saying this to the Ephesians, based on cultural context, they understood. So it was more or less like he's saying, Jonathan, let's not do, the sun go down upon your rocks. And just like you say, um, let, me see, let me see a very popular slang today. We'll say, we'll say, ah, Jesus, what can I even say? I don't even know. I might 30 plus now. Um, we'll say, um, don't let him. Magic can be a landy couple. Just don't let them carry your handicap, something like that. Now, if somebody wants to see, they think we're trying to say, don't let them make you an handicap, like don't let them maybe break your legs or break your hands. Whereas what we're trying to say is, don't let them take you for a fool, all right? So the cultural context oftentimes determines the usage of the word, all right? So in case like this one, it says, let not the sun go down upon your eyes. He's not trying to say particularly the sun. He was trying to take a cue from people, right? And because of how they were, in other words, trying to say, as soon as possible, differences. people will try to annoy you. All right but do not respond based on that anger and as soon as possible settle that difference in our finally says neither give place to the devil the word to give place they actually the word that signifies something like you are allowing the devil have a position so by you responding in anger you just give the devil his face like you by yourself you gave it over to the devil the devil normally did not have any position or any portion among us don't forget we are men we are men in christ a family we are, cl- we are closely bound together. Do you understand? We are in Christ Jesus. But as a reason of maybe somebody that annoyed you, and then I got offended. What did I just do? I just created a a person or a position for the devil in between us. That's simply what he's saying there. So in you responding to anger, and I think it's very important to know in the church people will always offend you. We are men in Christ, but we are. All right, you need to realize people will offend you. People will say things that you don't like. People will say things that will hurt you. But you must reco- you must be wiser. Bible says we are not ignorant of the vices of the devil. You must be wiser. You must see the spiritual implication of everything. If you respond in anger, what you just did was to give the devil the space. You just give him opportunity to act among us. Hallelujah. And so, you know, we're going to stop here. <clears throat> we're going to stop here for today.